Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. And it's good to share the word. I, I want to read it to you. I think it's really important to actually says in 2 Timothy, well, might be 1 Timothy, you can check for yourself, but devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So that means to read Scripture in public, devotedly. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the chapter for this morning. It's Acts chapter 4, verse 13. If you are visiting or you've just flown in from another planet and you've never been to church, we've been in this story for a couple of weeks maybe two or three weeks. It's the first miracle of the church. Uh, A lame man is dramatically healed and the apostles, the leaders of the early church movement are effectively arrested and thrown in jail, um, which is a bit odd. You think, you know, they did a good deed in the name of Jesus, but there they were being persecuted. And this is uh, the apostles uh, just before the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was like the heavy-duty high court of the day. About 70 members of the elite, powerful ruling class of Israel. Uh, It was a powerful uh, court, a powerful council. Uh, It wasn't just like being brought before the elders at church to answer a few questions. Uh, This was serious. This was like going before the civil and religious authorities of your nation. And the apostles, Peter and John, are there. And they've just had a bit of a speech. Peter said a few things. And we pick up verse 13, chapter 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished that, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Wouldn't you love that said about you? Like, maybe you're not that impressive like me. But that someone would say, that person's been with Jesus. I love that. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them, Peter and John, to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. And then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to no longer speak to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges." As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was 40, over 40 years old, so he was quite young. On their release, Peter and John went back to their people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When all the people heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. I'm going to say that again, and I want you all to say it after me. Sovereign Lord. Lord. You made the heavens and the earth. 
the sea and everything in them. Okay, I'll keep going my own now. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, King David. And then they quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod, King Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and say this after me. Enable your servants to speak your word. With great boldness, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for these faithful people, these men and women of the church in the first century who were under great pressure, great persecution, genuine threats for their lives, genuine threats to be jailed indefinitely, genuine threats to be ostracised and cut off from their families and their community for the name of Jesus. And yet we marvel at their courage and their boldness. We marvel that though they experienced persecution, They came together and expressed their prayer to you as a church and they experienced your power. Heavenly Father, may we learn from them this morning. May we take on what you're saying through this word, each and every one of us, and apply it to our lives, Lord. And hear this morning what it is that you're speaking to each of us about, what you're speaking to us as a church about. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but the world seems to be moving very fast. I got a sense that, you know, a number of years ago when I was a lad, like it was 10, 15 years, maybe 15 years was a generation gap. Now it feels about 15 minutes is a generation gap. Things are moving very fast in our world and digital technology in particular is, is a revolution that we are still in the midst of. And it's throwing up new things all the time. And we don't quite know where we're going to land. There's a lot of turbulence in the world politically. Uh, There's a lot of challenges and changes in our world. Um, Some of the normal global order things of the past hundred years since the First and Second World War, kind of the way that the the world was structured politically are being shaken a bit. Uh, And it's a really difficult time. It's a unique time. The world has always had difficult times and problems and the people of God have always faced difficult seasons and challenges. But we are in the midst of this new revolution and particularly around the digital technology and we're we're working out what it means, where's it gonna land? And there are pressures uh, on Christian communities globally. Perhaps in the West, it's more ideological pressure Uh, and political pressure perhaps rather than physical persecution. In other countries, there's physical persecution of Christians. Um, A recent government report by the United Kingdom government um, reported that Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world. 
Um, over 300 million Christians face persecution right now in the world. That's threats to their well-being, their safety, their security, uh, because of their following of Jesus. Over 300 million in our world right now. Last year, that we know of, verified reports, there were 6,000 people put to death because of their faith in Jesus as the primary reason. 6,000. So we live in strange and difficult times as God's people. But the people in the book of Acts, the early church lived in similar times. And in a few chapters time, we'll see the first Christian martyred, killed for their faith, Stephen. In the next few weeks, we'll see that. But listen to what... Um, what happens here in this text. They put them in jail. This is Acts chapter four. Uh, and they, they threatened them to not speak. And then in Acts chapter eight, I'll just read a little bit of that. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then they talk about Stephen's death, the first martyr of the church. So the church expected persecution. The early church expected persecution. Now, why did they expect persecution? Have a stab. Because Jesus told them. Jesus warned them to expect persecution. And this is what he said in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own and like your Instagram posts. He didn't say that. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his or her master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey your teaching. Not everyone hates people. Obviously, people become Christians. There's hundreds of millions of Christians in the world. But generally, the world system, the powers of darkness, hate Christ. He's a threat. They hate God's people. They are a threat. And Jesus warned them to expect persecution. Now, that doesn't mean that we deliberately antagonise our neighbours or become obnoxious Christian brats who just annoy people. Um, it's not a, a cue to kind of just upset people, um, you know, mindlessly, but to acknowledge if we faithfully follow Jesus, not everyone in the culture and society is going to be cheering and clapping and saying, aren't they great? It's going to be some persecution and some backlash will come. And we see that in this first early church story after this great healing. Luke chapter 21, Jesus said, expect persecution. But before all this, before the end of the age, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you will be brought before kings and governors. This is happening to Peter and John. They're like, oh yeah, John, you imagine they're talking, you know, remember Jesus told us this is going to happen. How exciting. It's really happening. Um, and on account of my name, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. So even close family circles, even close family friendships can be severed because of Jesus, because of our stand for him 
Even our own families can feel that division, that persecution. And they will put some of you to death, like the 6,000 who were put to death last year in Christ's name because of their faith. Everyone will hate you because of me. Not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I don't know if you've noticed in the Bible that it says things like Jesus went around preaching and teaching in their synagogues. And Paul will use similar language in in his letters in the book of Acts, preaching and teaching. There's actually two kinds of communication that the Bible brings to us about preaching and teaching. And I don't wanna preach so much this morning. I wanna teach a little bit. I wanna dig a bit deeper into this text and it's going to mean that we, we apply our minds, just listen in, lean in. It's going to cause you to think and, and maybe you, it'll raise some questions. And if you have any questions, um, please talk to Ben afterwards. Um, no, talk to me as well. Talk to Ben, that's fine. But <laughs> if I say anything controversial or difficult, talk to Dave. Um, please um, hear me out on this. It, just to get a sense of, okay, how do we navigate just they're before the authorities, they're brought before the governing authorities. They're trying to navigate the early church. How do we do this? How do we live faithfully to Jesus in a world where political, sometimes religious authorities hate us? And I want to just give us a bit of a, a look at that quickly, not, not in, a, in a deep sense, but I guess the key phrase is in the world, but not of it. How are Christians to understand their role in culture and politics today? Um, I think there's three things we can do three postures we can have. We can retreat and ignore, so we can hide out. We can assimilate to the dominant culture, so we can sell out, or we can engage biblically and faithfully and prayerfully. We can go out in Jesus' name. They're the three postures that we have. We can kind of bunker down and just build our little Christian castles and and little Christian sort of strongholds and stay in there, and just keep the world out and just hide and ignore it and just keep our private faith to ourselves and make sure we're okay and just forget about what's going on out there. We can retreat and ignore. I don't think that's what Jesus called us to do. That's hiding out. There are times when we do have to take stands, when we do have to separate out, when we do have to say, no, I'm not, I can't participate in that. I don't agree with that. I can't go along with that because I'm a Christian. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just a mentality that's like, oh, I just, you know, put on worship music all day and sing praise to Jesus and I just don't worry about what's going on out there. I just forget about it. I ignore it. Just retreat in. That's not, hiding out is not what God's called us to do. Then there's assimilate to the dominant culture. So we kind of go, look, let's just make a truce here. Let's make a deal. We're gonna be Christians. We're gonna live in this world. Let's just change some of our things we believe. Let's just adopt some of the, the cultural things because it's too hard to stand against them. It's too difficult. People say we're hate, haters and we're bigots and they don't like us. Let's just kind of assimilate. Let's, let's just massage and mould our Christian faith into the dominant culture and not cause any trouble, not upset anyone. And we just go along. They'll leave us alone. We'll leave them alone. And we'll just adopt some of these cultural things. That's to sell out. That's to sell Jesus out. No, we're meant to stand for truth. We're meant to stand for what's right. We're meant to stand in his name. So we can't do that. We can't just hide away. We can't just sell out and assimilate. The third option is the option that they're doing here, the early church. Engage the culture. 
and the society in Jesus' name, biblically, faithfully to God and prayerfully, carefully, prayerfully thinking through what is God doing in this situation? What is God saying to us as his people in this culture, in this time? How do we lovingly and, and wisely live our faith publicly without hiding, without selling out? And that's what they're doing here. And they, they do it on the proviso that they know that they will be persecuted. So if you have in your mind this thought that, okay, We've got to find a way, church, Christians, to not be persecuted, to just get along with everyone, to not have any issues. You're already off, you're already off balance. If you start with the premise that as a Christian, some people will hate me, some people will misunderstand me, some people will mix up what I say, some people will treat me badly because of my faith. If you start in that position, you're not going to be so bothered when that happens. Again, with the proviso that it's not just me being annoying or, or silly as a Christian. Um, and that's going to give you some basis to go, okay, I accept that. I'm ready. And I'm ready. I'm armed. I'm ready. Um, so you're not going to worry when it happens. You might not like it. And then I'd also say this, quoting Tim Keller, who's, who's a great author. He says, those Christians who avoid all political discussions and engagement are essentially casting a vote for the social status quo. To not be political as a Christian is to be political. So to not enter in and to have our say publicly, to not at least in the public square express our faith, where we're coming from, what we believe, um, we are making a stand by, by hiding. Um, by selling out, we're going the wrong way. But by engaging biblically, understanding what God's doing, faithfully as his people, prayerfully, engaging in our culture, in, in the conversations that happen, that's where God wants us to be. So there's a bit more to say around that, but um, I hope you get the sense that there's two extremes, um, hide, ignore, retreat, assimilate, just go along with the culture and fit in, or there's this tension in the middle of faithful, prayerful, biblically informed witness that engages Jesus and our culture for Jesus. All right, let's, let's move on a little bit um, and check out this persecution that they're experiencing. Uh, this is what Jesus said to them because they're about to come together after the persecution and then they go straight into prayer. And I'm thinking, that's interesting because it's like no one like called the prayer meeting or they didn't plan it. They just kind of naturally went into prayer after this persecution. And it made me think of this verse of Jesus um, where he said this in Matthew 5.43, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. See what the early church does? It obeys Jesus. If you wanna know what Christianity is, it's basically this. Listen to Jesus and do what he says. That's it. Listen to Jesus and do what he said. So they listened to Jesus who'd already told them, pray for those who persecute you. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 said this, bless those who persecute you. Now, isn't that freedom? Isn't that mastery and liberation to not be overcome by fear or, or self-hatred because people don't like you? 
to not be you know, threatened because people are against you. Isn't that freedom to pray for them? Isn't that the position of freedom? To pray for those who persecute you, who hate you. To bless those who persecute you, who curse you. That's freedom, people. That's release. That's submission to God and freedom in life. So this is what they did. They didn't come together and go, oh man, this is awful. Like the local authorities are really angry with us. They're really upset. We've got to get together and work out how we can sort this out because we want to live in peace with everyone. We want to make sure that people in society like us and we don't want to stand out. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be accused falsely. We just want to get along. I don't want any issues at work. I don't want people talking behind my back. Let's sort this out. No, they didn't do that. They come together and they turn to God in prayer. And so they pray. They expected persecution and now they express prayer. And this is really important. And I want to drill down into their prayer. How did they pray? Why is it recorded there? Nothing in the Bible is recorded just to fill space. It's there for us to learn and understand and grow with. So they experienced, they expected this persecution. They are now expressing their prayer as God's people. Look at how they prayed. There's four things about their prayer I want to note. That was three, but I'm going to add a fourth now. Okay. <laughs> they prayed in Jesus' name. Their prayer was directed to God the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, but they prayed in the name of Jesus. And this is not just tacking on his name at the end of the prayer. To use someone's name was to use their authority to stand in their stead, to be an ambassador, an emissary on their behalf to enact their will and way. To pray in his name was to know who he is was to know what he said, was to know what he did, to know what he will do. They prayed in Jesus' name, in his authority, in his stead, as though he were on earth praying. Oh, Monica, bless your heart. They prayed in Jesus' name. Secondly, they prayed in community. They prayed in community. Thirdly, and I'll go through these a bit more, they prayed biblically. They knew their Bibles. They prayed biblically. And fourth, they prayed missionally. You know, we sing that song, Holy Spirit, you know, what is it? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Um, you know, I want more of you in my life, Holy Spirit. I was thinking about that as we were singing because I was thinking about it as we, I was preparing. You know, if we want more of God's Spirit in our life, we've got to get in with what the Spirit wants to do. The Spirit wants to save people. The Spirit wants to sanctify people. The Spirit wants to empower people to serve and to speak in Jesus' name. And as we do that, as, we, as that's our focus as Christians, as churches, the Holy Spirit will come more in our lives. So they prayed in Jesus' name. They prayed in community. They prayed biblically. They prayed missionally. Let's check them out, just a few um, points for each of those. Express prayer in Jesus' name. They healed the man in Acts 4, Acts 3 and 4. It is by the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 4.20 of Nazareth, that this man stands before you healed. They healed him in the name of Jesus. And then they say, just before the reading that I read, verse 12, chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now that's an exclusive claim. And in a pluralistic kind of everyone must be included, be widely tolerant society, it's not popular to make exclusive claims. 
But if they're true, let's make them. And this is true. And then stretch out your hand. This is their prayer in just a moment. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they pray in Jesus' name. The name of Jesus makes people grow up, says Tom Wright. Become whole people. Become rinsed out and renewed, standing on their own feet, literally like the lame man was. It's the powerful name of Jesus that raised him up and their prayer is in Jesus' name. They express their prayer in community. You see this right through the book of Acts. There's kind of no quiet time for the early church. Like no one was on their own. They were always together. You can have quiet times, like be on your own, have a quiet time. But their practice seemed to be gathering together for worship, for prayer, for teaching. It says day in, day out in the temple courts, they gathered, they prayed daily together. And there was power in that. Acts chapter 1, 14, they prayed constantly. They joined together constantly in prayer. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then in this chapter, verse 4.24, when they heard this, the threats, they, they, they raised their voices together in prayer. A shout out for the pre-service prayer time. I think that's the most important service of the week. Any prayer gathering is, is so important for the church to come together in your life groups, in your family. I hope you're praying for your, your kids each night, um, in the morning praying together as a couple if you're married and praying with friends if you're signal, sing, single, um, if you're sending out some signals because you don't want to be single. Um, <laughs> praying together uh, each week, we need to be praying together. You know, just this morning up there, the pre-service prayer, um, Tim, one of the elders, prayed for me, but he prayed something that he couldn't know that spoke to me really deeply. Uh, it was like God speaking into my life. And then this morning when we prayed before the service, Ben prayed for me and just said something. It was like, yep, that's exactly, I just sense God speaking to him through that prayer. A prayer is such a power together. They prayed in community. They prayed for one another, with one another, and they strengthened one another in that prayer together. It was a beautiful thing. So they prayed in Jesus' name and they prayed in community and they prayed biblically. What do I mean by that? Well, let me explain. They know their Bible, which at that point was all the Old Testament and the, the stories and Gospels of Jesus were starting to come together. But they knew their Bible. So when they're threatened by the authorities, like they're like just quoting Scripture. They're like, yeah, we've, we've read this about this. And they quote Psalm 2, which was a Messianic Psalm, a Psalm that talked about the coming Messiah. And this is what it says. So it says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? They're quoting the psalm here in their prayer. The kings of the earth rise up. These powerful rulers, these people are banding together against the Lord and his anointed one. That's the Messiah. So they're like, yeah, that's right. This was gonna happen. When the Messiah came, the, the authorities, the powers, the kings, the, the earthly powers would, would, would rise up against him, would seek to overthrow him. And they're like, this is happening. And they're realising that they're, they're living in biblical history, biblical revelation. And then they, they go on, and but this is the psalm goes on. They didn't quote this bit, but they would have known it. Psalm 2 verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven, God laughs. The Lord scoffs at them, at the leaders, at the rulers who are seeking to oppose him. He just laughs at them. He's like Xi Jinping, you idiot. Vladimir Putin, you're hilarious. What's the fatty head in North Korea? Um, 
Anyway, Kim Jong-un, you crack me up, you fat-faced little boy. And God laughs at them. He does. He laughs at them. We are afraid because we fear their power, but he laughs at these leaders trying to exalt themselves to be God. And the early church is drawing on this history of like, they've been threatened by the Egyptians, they've been threatened by the Assyrians, they've been enslaved by the Babylonians, they've been pillaged by all sorts of nations and kings and rulers. And they're like, don't be afraid, people. Ultimately, God laughs. God is not worried about these people. And so they pray biblically. They know what God has done. They know what He's doing and they know what He will do because they understand their Scriptures. Knowing the Bible gives them perspective and insight how to pray. Look at their courage. Herod and Pilate, again, these are not local council leaders who can put your rates up if, if they're upset with you or something. These are, these are real powerful rulers who can kill and can imprison you, can confiscate all of your property like that. These are very powerful threats that they are dealing with. And they're like, hey, remember, guys, remember, God, we remind you, thank you. You laugh at Herod. You laugh at Pilate. You laugh at, at these religious leaders. You laugh at them trying to oppose you. And it gives them courage and it gives them boldness. So they express their prayer um, communally at as a community, they express their prayer in Jesus' name. They express their prayer biblically and they express their prayer missionally. And this is what they say at the end of the prayer, verse 29, chapter four. Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants, that's us, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal, perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So their prayer is not, Lord, oh, protect us, Lord. Keep our families safe. Lord, keep us safe. We don't want any trouble. Preserve our lives, Lord. We just want to worship and get on with things and do our thing. We don't want any trouble. No, they're like, Lord, there's trouble. You can hear the trouble. These people are threatening us. But here's what they pray. Lord, give us power so that we can do your work. Give us power so that we can speak your word. Give us power that we can keep serving you and not give in to their threats, not be overcome by fear. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform and also enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. It's a missional prayer. It's a prayer that says, Lord, we take this threat seriously, you take them seriously, but we don't want this to stop us as a church from proclaiming your good news in Jesus, from doing your work, from being part of your healing and restoration of the nations through Jesus. So they express their prayer missionally and it's beautiful. Tom Wright says this about a praying church. The church needs to learn in every generation what it means to pray with confidence like this, like these early church people. We do not go looking for persecution, but when it comes in whatever form, it certainly concentrates the mind, sends us back to the Scriptures and casts us on God's mercy and power. The church needs again and again that sense of God's powerful presence, shaking us up, blowing away the cobwebs, filling us with the Spirit and giving us that same boldness. So they expected persecution and they expressed prayer in all of its richness and depth. And then they experienced power. They experienced power. 
This is what Jesus says in Acts chapter one, verse eight to the church as they're gathered waiting. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Is this power just to feel good? Is this power just to, you know, have a nice experience? Well, that's part of it. But listen, power for what? Oh, here's the rest. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. I'll give you power to be my witness. Have you ever wondered like, how do I share Jesus with someone? How do I share my faith with someone? It's hard, it's difficult, it's awkward, it's weird. Well, without power from the Spirit, forget it. And Jesus says, don't even try. Wait until God's power comes on you, you'll be my witnesses. And then in verse 31 of chapter four, uh, where we are now, after they prayed, the place where our meeting was shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and just held hands and sang Kumbaya for ages. That's not what it says. They spoke the Word of God boldly. They were filled with God's Spirit. So if you want more of God's Spirit, if I want more of God's Spirit, it's like, yes, He will give you more of His Spirit if you're gonna do the things the Spirit wants to do in you and through you. And they spoke the Word of God boldly. And then a little bit later in Acts 4.33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. The Greek word is mega. Mega dynamos. It's two Greek words. Great power. It's like mega dynamite. God gave them mega dynamite. And then this last verse, He gave them mega grace. Mega power, mega grace. And He can do that. And he did that as they expected persecution. He did that as they expressed prayer together as his people. And he gave them his power uh, to keep going for him and his name. Interestingly, the praying of the early church didn't stop the persecution. It got worse. It got worse. They were all cast out of Jerusalem in, in a few chapters' time, except the apostles. So if we kind of think, well, if I pray... That means everything's going to be all right. I'm just going to pray because I'm going through some troubles and problems, having some persecutions. I'll just pray and everything will work out perfectly. Well, pray and God will do His stuff, but their prayer for more power to continue to testify meant that the persecution increased. So in some ways, we could ask ourselves this. If I'm not being persecuted, if I'm not suffering at any point in my life for my witness for Jesus, how is my witness for Jesus going? If no one's upset with me, if no one's mad at me, if no one's angry at me, if no one's having some trouble with me as a Christian, how effective am I? And again, that's not licensed to be a Christian nong. It's just saying that if we're going to serve Christ, if we're going to speak in His name, there's going to be spiritual opposition which will manifest through physical opposition because that's ultimately where it's come from. That's why they have to pray. It's not just the people that are persecuting them. It's the powers of darkness working through people to seek to destroy God's work and His mission. So people expect persecution. Express prayer together on your own too and experience power, power to live for Jesus and power to speak for Jesus. And look at the outcome of their prayer. Um, look at the outcome of the early church, the way they prayed together. Verse 13, chapter four of Acts, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they saw their courage, 
These guys are standing before a heavy-duty, powerful council of 70 powerful people. And they're not been to Bible college, they're not schooled, they're not up there with these elite people in any way in terms of knowledge or experience. And yet they have this boldness. And the council's like, who are these blokes? Where do they get this boldness from? They're, they're, they're teaching us. They're, they're giving a word to us. Who, who, who are they? And then at the end of this prayer, Acts 4, 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I'm going to confess, people, I can be such a coward as a Christian. I'm sure none of you have this problem. But I can be such a coward. I can go to the hairdresser and like, you know, I hope they don't ask me what I do. Because I'm not going to say I'm a pastor. And it gets awkward. It's just weird. Um, I remember having a hairdresser once I used to go to. He was, he was like the most unlikely hairdresser. He was a, a, a kind of Aussie rugby-loving bloke. This was in Melbourne. His name was Bryce. Bryce, if you're listening, God bless you. Um, but I went for like 18 months, and I purposely never said I was a pastor. And I just tried to avoid it all the time. And we'd have great conversations. He'd swear a lot and tell jokes. And it was, we just, it was his relationship. And then one day he's like, so what do you do again? I said, oh, you wouldn't believe me. <laughs> and he said, now what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. He's like, yeah. And he's dropped a swear word like, yeah, right. Um, sure. I went, no, I am. I'm a pastor. And then he swore again and then apologised <laughs> for swearing. See, it got weird, right? The whole thing changed and it got weird all of a sudden. But it, sometimes it's not, it's not cowardice or just we lack boldness to share. It can be, it can be difficult because there's a lot that, comes behind saying you're a Christian or, in my case, a pastor as well. There's a lot there, and, and we know that people will misunderstand. We know that culturally, um, you know, when I became a Christian, basically what I knew is, what I thought I knew about Christians is that they, they didn't drink coffee because they don't do drugs. Um, so people can have really strange ideas about what a Christian is, and we can, we can kind of just retreat a bit, but it's okay it's okay just to say, hey, yeah, I was at church on Sunday. It was a really great time. Um, actually, yeah, I've been going through a hard time recently, but I'm finding my prayer and my faith in God has really been helping me. It, there are ways to do this that are, are winsome and, and um, accessible to people, but there's no easy way to be a Christian in society without some challenges, without some threats happening now and then. So I need more courage. Uh, maybe you need more courage and here they got courage because they expected to be persecuted, so they weren't worried about it. Um, they expressed their prayer together as a community of believers. They supported each other, and they experienced God's power, and that's what gave them boldness. So I'm thinking about this, and I thought, wow, who else expected persecution? Who else expressed prayer? Who else experienced God's power? And I thought, of course, Jesus. And as we head into Easter, we think of him who came. He, he came knowingly, expecting persecution. He taught about it in his ministry. He knew he was going to die. I don't know what age Jesus was in, in his humanity where he, he realised from the Father that, that he was to give his life. Was it when he was nine years old, 12, 17? I don't know, but we know when he started his ministry at 30, we know that he knew that his ministry would end in persecution, would end in death. Jesus expressed prayer 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the week of Easter, we'll, we'll read this reading together on Maundy Thursday. He expressed prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, Lord, take this persecution. Take this suffering from me if you can. But not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus experienced God's power. On the third day, God raised him to life. Hallelujah. And Jesus did all this to pave the way for us because we will experience persecution. We do need to express prayer and we will experience God's power in this life, but ultimately in the kingdom to come. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one to three about Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he saw the kingdom of heaven, but in between him and the kingdom of heaven was the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of God. Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. He expected persecution and he bore that persecution for you and for me. He expressed his prayer in Gethsemane through his life. He expressed his prayer on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And he experienced God's power. On the third day, God raised him to life. Father, we thank You in the strong and holy Name of Jesus, Your Son. We thank You, Father God, that our Lord Jesus, He expected persecution, He expected suffering and He came nonetheless. He saw the cross looming as a shadow in His future and He walked steadily towards it and He scorned its shame and He endured its suffering for us, to save us, to set us free, to give us hope and a future. And He experienced Your power, Heavenly Father. Thank You, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us who believe in Him. Lord, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters here. I pray for your church in the Adelaide Hills. We pray together. In fact, let's stand together and pray. Just speak to the Lord. Pray to Him. Let's communally pray. Pray what's on your heart. Pray for people you know who are suffering, who are being persecuted, people who are needing Christ's intervention in their life. Pray for those things on your heart now. Let's pray together. Oh, lead us in prayer, but you continue to lift your prayer to God. Father, we pray for our church communities across the hills. We pray, Lord, where people are feeling pressured or persecuted or feeling timid, Lord, feeling afraid. Lord Jesus, we pray that You would enable us to speak Your Word with great boldness, that You would stretch out Your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the Name of Your Holy Servant, Jesus, that people would come to know Him 
come to love Him, come to serve and follow Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because one day, Lord, every eye will see, every heart will know, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, willingly or unwillingly, and declare that Jesus, this Jesus, He is King, He is Sovereign Lord, He is the one who rules over the nations and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Not as a baby in a manger, but as a conquering King with flames, eyes of fire in His eyes, flames of fire in His eyes, a sword in His right hand, triumphant, powerful. And we look forward to His coming. Lord, prepare us, help us to expect persecution. Help us to not be surprised by it or not be afraid of it. Lord, help us not to cause it unnecessarily. But Lord Jesus, help us to express prayer as Your people in our families, in our friendship groups, in our life groups, in our church community, week in, week out, day in, day out. Help us pray together, express prayer together and encourage and support one another in this mission that You've given us. And Lord, help us to experience Your power your power over sin in our lives to sanctify, your power to set us free, your power to enable us to speak and to serve You in Your purposes. We love You, Lord. We love You, Jesus. We love You, our Father God. We love You, Holy Spirit. Bless Your church community. Strengthen us, Lord. Protect us in the strong and holy Name of Jesus that we might do Your work and do Your will. We love You, Lord. We worship You. We praise you, God, our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.